Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. I really love that uh, song, and I love uh, the imagery uh, that uh, Clay's singing about, especially that line that uh, says that the kingdom that we're looking for lies within, that this place of uh, firm foundation is not outside of us somewhere, but it's inside of us. And I think that's a, that's a huge idea. And so we're kicking off this brand new series. Uh, it's called Above All Kingdoms. And it's just a reminder that uh, it seems to me that poets, uh, writers, uh, so many of the great stories of our world are about that idea of finding this secret place, this kingdom place uh, where everything you know, works right, where we escape from all of the harsh realities of our current existence and we move into this other place that is peaceful and good. And, and whether that's uh, escaping through the looking glass or through the wardrobe uh, whether, you know, it's uh, you, taking the boat in and out of days and over a few weeks and uh, to the wild, where the wild things are, that, that imagery and that idea uh, of moving ourselves into this space that is different than and other than. And uh, I think it's a, it's a powerful image. In the kingdom of God, however, and in the biblical story, that imagery is about this coming kingdom of God. It's about this kingdom that is above all kingdoms. And so the imagery of it and the reality of it is woven throughout scripture. John is talking about it when he talks in Revelation 21, uh, verse three, he says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who had, was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. And, and this is John's vision into what is to be. This is how it is going to finally fulfill itself and and you and I are going to live in this place where resolution ultimately is coming. The story that began in the garden ends in a city uh, and it ends with God uh, wiping away every tear and the pain of our lives. And this imagery is so powerful. It, it sustains and underwrites the entire optimistic narrative of the kingdom of God and the scriptural story. And, and so as we begin this brand new series, my question to you is, does that biblical optimism, does that biblical narrative underwrite your existence? Does it underwrite your emotions right now in the middle of COVID, in the middle of an election cycle, in the middle of racial tension, in the middle of so many big questions being asked? Uh, does the optimism, the understanding of the kingdom of God underwrite what's happening inside of you and how you see the world and, and how you relate to the people around you. Uh, David writes clearly in Psalms 103 about this kingdom. Praise the Lord, my soul. And I want you to sit down in this. I want you to just kind of take a deep breath uh, and just listen to how David relates to the goodness of God and the nature of the kingdom. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins 
and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known the ways of Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat our, us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And it remember, in its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you as angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you, you his servants do, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. I, I, I love the imagery and the idea because it is David making this proclamation about what underwrites all the other stuff, about this kingdom whose character and nature is above all other kingdoms, and in fact is that foundational reality that we live in, that we celebrate, that we understand, that transcends kingdoms and politics and, and, and eras of time. Uh, we, we live in this deep time and this great truth. Jesus invited us to serve that kingdom that is above all kingdoms. And in Luke, as he's teaching, he talks to us about this. Seek first his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Paul reminds us that we belong to this kingdom above all other kingdoms, that our citizenship is in fact in heaven, Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it was a plea. It was the creedal prayer of all of Christendom for all of these years, a, a, a hope, a fervent belief prayer invitation that God's kingdom would come, Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that underwriting your story? Is that, is that a part of your mentality? Do you see that as the foundational truth underwriting underneath, holding up and sustaining everything else that's going on in your life and in your world? Uh, later, uh, we have this encounter between Jesus and Pilate. And uh, I think the words are really powerful. John 18, 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And my question is, is that a reality? Is that underwriting your story. 
Is there some sense in you that this kingdom of God is the deeper reality, that this other stuff is a distraction? Second Timothy reminds us that we have not been given the spirit of fear, but a different kind of spirit as we participate together in the groaning and the longing for this kingdom to come. For the spirit of God gave, well, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So I, I just want to relate a couple of stories, and then I'm going to invite Colton in, and we're going to talk a little bit about the practical ways in which we apply as we talk today about a kingdom of infinite kindness. And so listen to this account. You know the story. It's about Mary and Martha, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, and Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Jesus, in his kindness, deals with these two personality types, these two people, one who is completely distracted by the logistics of life, who, whose attention is given to what to eat and how to prepare, and if you'll allow me, what the politics of the day are, and, and what's happening here, and how I think, and how I analyze, and what's the next thing. And then we have the Mary character whose life is very different than that who isn't really worried about that at all. In fact, maybe to the detriment uh, of the general immediate well-being. But instead, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I really think if you, if you pull out from this story and you said, okay, you've got an opportunity to spend an afternoon with Jesus. Um, you know, is your tendency that I, I want to be sure everything's ready and the house is clean and I made some nice tea cakes or whatever that all is? Or do I just want to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen? Uh, we're making that choice on a very regular basis. And in the midst of these confused priorities, Jesus in his infant, a kingdom of infinite kindness in which he tempers those who are so distracted by the logistics of life. And he honors those who become those that seek the kingdom and seek the presence of God and seek to sit in this space that heals our hearts and our minds and our spirits. And so then a second story that I think has great significance is how Jesus responds in really practical ways uh, with this attitude of kindness. And, and what I really want us to ask is, is this narrative underwriting us, this kingdom above all kingdoms? Is it underwriting your emotions? Is it underwriting your worldview, how you see these days that we're living in? And the second question then is, how are you allowing that kingdom that's not out there, but in here to come to life? in your own circle of influence, in your own home, in your own family, in your own friendships, in your own emotional makeup, in your own spiritual journey, is the kingdom alive? Is it living in you? Is it being played out? Is it having fruit in the journey of your heart, soul, mind, relationships, all of that? Listen to this story, uh, and then I'm going to bring in Colton, and we're going to talk about it. Luke 7 uh, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's table. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, 
she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw him, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50, and neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet from the time I entered and has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So I think we have this amazing, remarkable story that is unfolding. And I see five things that define the infinite kindness of the kingdom. And I'm going to just invite Colton to come in and we're going to talk about these five and how maybe they relate to folks who are more in my age group and how they relate maybe to folks who are more in Colton's age group and different worldviews. But the challenge today is for us to begin to live as a part of this kingdom that is above all kingdoms. Let's welcome Colton in. So I, I said I observed five things uh, out of this story uh, in Luke 7 of the woman who anoints the feet of Jesus. And here's the first one. Uh, in the kingdom of God, we are infinitely kind in the presence of brokenness. Um, Jesus responds to this woman who is broken. Uh, she's obviously known. She hasn't made the best choices. Uh, maybe life hasn't presented her with very good choices. Um, but whatever's happened to her, her life hasn't really turned out the way maybe she had hoped or wished. And it certainly hasn't turned out in a way that her friends and neighbors all approve of her. Mm. And so she, she's a person that could be easily ignored. She could be shunned. She could be ridiculed. Um, just her presence could damage Jesus's reputation. And in fact, that is the accusation that's made against him uh, by, you know, the Pharisees, Simon, whose house uh, he is in. And so in the face of all of that, Jesus looks at her brokenness and he is infinitely kind to her. And I think the question for me is, are we? Is that how we individually uh, respond to brokenness? Um, I, my observation is uh, for folks who are a little bit older, um, maybe somewhere in there, uh, we've kind of gotten set in our ways. We're kind of, uh, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but, but I think, uh, you know, I'm kind of the person that's the, you know, law and order person, you know, kind of think this is how it's supposed to work and this is what you're supposed to do. And, you know, I kind of grew up in that sort of process and it's easy i think for older people to be intolerant mm -hmm. of the brokenness and the suffering of people around them i think we have to make a genuine effort uh, at this end of life to say hey you know there but for the grace of god go i and to respond to people who don't 
see it the same way we do or haven't made the same choices or didn't have the opportunity. I think sometimes uh, older folks are really hard on people who are going through and suffering brokenness. Mm. How do you see it from the younger side? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think the younger generations are doing a little bit better about recognizing brokenness, Dave. Um, but I still think there's this disconnect between, you know, noticing it and acting right. And, and intervening. And especially with myself too. It, one of my, one of my favorite authors says it's so easy to agree with Jesus, but it's hard to do what Jesus did. Yeah. Yeah. And so this story, it's, it's amen. We love this story. We agree, but really to recognize what he did to show kindness, to act, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think there's a little bit of a disconnect there and it was with myself and my own life and, and young people were so sometimes loud about it, which is great, right? We're getting better about calling those things out, seeing brokenness, but we can't just let it stay there, right? We have to act and do something about it. So, yeah, I, I, th- I so we talked about this a few weeks ago, but we live in a culture, and I think especially the younger culture, that really values being woke. You know, we're, yeah. we're going to become aware. But, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about a yoke. It's about getting in and doing the work and pulling, you know, the elements. And, and I think, you know, when I think about it, I think it's fair across the generations to ask ourselves this question. Am I living out? Am I bringing the kingdom to life in my home, uh, in, yeah. in my family, in my life group, with my siblings, with my parents, with my kids, with my grandkids? You know, we got to all do this. If we're going to experience this, a kingdom that is above all kingdoms, we're going to have to really, really, in the face of brokenness, uh, really practice this kind of kindness, uh, this infinitely kind demeanor. And so, man, to me, that's a big order. It's not about the value of recognizing it in our brain. It's about the virtue of putting it into practice. So yeah, the second one is it, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, So the second one that I was, the, the second point I see from it is we are infinitely kind when need overcomes propriety. So to me, one of the really crazy things about this story is that she should not have been there. Mm-hmm. She shouldn't have been in the space. Uh, you know, we know historically that people could come and stand around the perimeter of the room when a guest was honored like this, but they could not step out. You couldn't approach the table. The table was off limits to anyone except invited guests. And so I, I, mm-hmm. I'm trying to imagine the awkwardness and embarrassment of this woman stepping out and kneeling at the feet of Jesus and beginning to weep. And, and I get the, the sense that she cries all over his feet and then she's looking for some way to wipe it up. And so she lets her hair down to wipe her hair, you know, to wipe her tears from his feet. Wow. And, and that's an even greater impropriety. Um, she's breaking yeah. protocol. It's the worst kind of impropriety. Um, and I, I, I think a lot of times, you know, we just think people ought to behave themselves. They ought to, they ought to do the right thing. Uh, they don't need to be acting out. They don't need to break the rules. They don't need to step out of line. Uh, that's, not, that's not acceptable conduct. And yet in the face of what is this really genuine breach of propriety, uh, Jesus responds to her in incredible kindness. He recognizes not the impropriety of her actions, but the deep need of her heart, that something mm-hmm. underneath her is driving her. And I wonder how often we are content with seeing inappropriate behavior 
instead of really looking at the need that might be driving that behavior. What do you think? Yeah, I love that, Dave. I think we dismiss people too quick, right? That's what Jesus didn't do. He didn't dismiss her. Yeah. Um, and for the younger generations, and and I remember this when I was a young teen, right? We were like, our parents tell us to do something. They're, you know, parenting us as they should, and we're just, we won't hear it. And I think there's a little bit of that with the younger generations now. It's like the elder, older generations have these different thoughts and beliefs and stuff, and we just are quick to dismiss those people. You know, and they've lived a lot of lives and have some wisdom to give to us, but a lot of times we won't hear it. Yeah, well, and I so, think, and I think our older generation. I mean, we grew up getting spanked. You know, we we grew yeah. up. There was no question about propriety. It was, it, you know, the world was very orderly for I think, especially for older generations growing up. This is what you did. You followed the instructions of your parents. You you listened to authority. Um, mm. You know, I mean, one of the worst things that could ever happen to you was getting sent to the principal's office at school. That was like, that was like yeah. unthinkable. You know, that was like a capital crime. Um, and so I think we, we, we have grown up with that. And I think it's easy for older people to look at younger people. And because of that issue of propriety, to just sort of dismiss, because I think what we lose is, uh, you know, we had a very orderly world that we lived in. It made sense. And I think kids mm. are growing up in a world that doesn't make much sense. Uh, it doesn't make much yeah. sense to them. It doesn't all add up, I don't think. Yeah, and I, I want to talk a little bit about social media because, you know, on social media, it's just we just dismiss people. You know, it's like they act out, they say something. It's like, well, we can't. You know, we just are quick to label people and just boom, they're out. Yeah. You know, and it just, it's the so cancel. easy. And it's the cancel culture, yes, but it's so easy to throw stones, right? And yeah. And like the calling here and what Jesus does is like he puts down the stone, he even catches the stones at times, you know, and it's just a whole different outlook. Yeah. And it is shocking that Jesus is able to be in this space that is about righteousness, but he somehow has this incredible kindness, this incredible compassion that allows him to identify this woman uh, with this woman and with her need. And, and I, I guess for me, you know, the challenge in it is, is that how I respond? Is that how I'm responding to what's happening right now around me? Am I slowing yeah. down and listening and looking for the need behind the impropriety? Or am I jumping right on? Well, I, that's not how you act. That's not what you say. That's not what you post mm -hmm. on Facebook. You know, I don't want to watch that video. I'm going to unfriend this person. Um, I think it's a big deal. And, we, and again, do we want this kingdom to exist or do we not? Because yeah. it's up to all of our generations. It can't be just older people who are doing it or younger people. It's all of us who are inviting this kingdom, which is above all kingdoms, to, to become reality. So, all right, point number three. Um, Jesus was infinitely kind as he, uh, as, or let me rephrase it. We are to be infinitely kind as we play host to others. So Simon is playing host, and, and we ought to give him some credit. He did set this up. He did invite Jesus. He did sponsor the event. He did spend some money. He did make some things available. Um, but, um, you know, there's something that's happening in this process. He's not necessarily being a great host, and Jesus points that out. And so I, I think to stop and to say, are we playing host to others? We're no longer bystanders. We're no longer critics. We are actually people who are really trying to make a difference in the care uh, of the people around us. And so here's, you know, this one, this I think is a big deal. 
I think older generations, people who've been around a while and are better established, we have the means, uh, we usually have the space, we usually have the resources to actually play host to people. But mm. the tendency is as we get older, we only want to host other people just like us. Uh, mm. we, we define our circle of influence and friends and we refine it. Um, and, you know, people move away or circumstances change. But most of us have a fairly highly defined circle uh, of social life. And we forget that we're supposed to be playing host to younger generations, to people in need. And so I think this kingdom of ultimate kindness is, is about playing host to others. Um, yeah. And I don't know how that affects the younger generation. What, what do you think? Yeah, that's great, Dave. I, I'm not sure. I think that, that, like somebody says, you know, we're the most disconnected, connected generations, right? Like Gen Z yeah. and millennials. And, and I think we're craving community, you know, especially out of COVID and all this, we're craving community. But because of the different, you know, technologies and, and all these different things, we sometimes don't know how to let people into our space, right? Yeah. Or even, so there's this, we, we need to host people as younger people, but we also need to, you know, when people want to play host us, we need to be willing to step out and go, you know, be there yeah. and stuff. So there's a, kind of this both and, but, but we there's need community. Of, there's a lot of conversation right now about the death of expertise that, you know, younger generations are, are basically, they no longer believe that anybody's an expert. So, you know, you go to a doctor and a doctor tells you something, but you look it up on the internet and Hey, they said this. So it, and those are equal, you know, a person who's had a lot of education and training and experience, and I do think that sometimes as older people, we need to open our hearts and our minds and our pocketbooks and host people. Mm -hmm. um, but I also believe younger generations need to have some level of curiosity about, well, what do you know? What has happened to you? What is your experience? Um, I, I think there's so many incredible stories that circled around in our congregation. It's just a small microcosm of culture. Um, and, you know, we did a series for a couple of summers where we, we talked about everybody who got to share their story. And we heard some incredible stories about what people do. Uh, I wonder if younger generations have any curiosity about hmm. the things that have happened to others and the things that they've have experienced and maybe what they have accomplished in their journey and in their life. Because I think this kingdom of God is intergenerational. And this Absolutely. issue of being hosted and, and allowing yourself to be hosted and to exercise the opportunity to host, I think, is incredibly important. And I think we see it in this story. Um, you know, the kingdom is a place of ultimate kindness in which we host others. We want to open our lives, homes, families, opportunities to the people around us. And I think it matters. Mm -hmm. um, number four, we are infinitely kind when redemption is needed. So the woman was in need of a true act of forgiveness. Um, she needed to be forgiven, but also transformed. She needed space to grow. She needed to be able to leave her past behind and embrace a, a, a better future. And Jesus seems to know and understand the power of grace and the mm. power of the Holy Spirit to transform her life. And so, you know, one of the things that I think is happening in this moment is I think Simon, the Pharisee, the religious representative, is looking at her past, and Jesus is looking at her future. Uh, yeah. And I think as kingdom people, we are really focused on redemption and renewal 
as opposed to failure and track record and what all of those other things are. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, sometimes as we get older, we feel like I made it, you know, I got through it. I made hard decisions. I was disciplined. Uh, that's sometimes dishonest because we don't own all of our own failure. Uh, we don't mm -hmm. own all of the things and ways in which we, you know, fell short of what God intended or wanted or desired or what our secret sin might look like. Um, but I think, uh, you know, do we, I think as older people, we need to have a fresh infusion of a kindness that really is exercised uh, when people are really broken and hurting and need redemption. And I think Jesus was really good at that. Thoughts about that? Yeah. Oh, I'm with you, man. You, like, um, so Bob Goff, everybody always is a book that we went through this summer with the teens. And, and, and when you kind of had this point, I was thinking about this, he talks about in his book, how we're supposed to, we're supposed to tell people who they are becoming, not who they are. Yeah. And it's this, just this really cool, we don't cast judgment. We don't stamp where they are, but we tell them who they're becoming. And that's exactly what Jesus does in this story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Simon's like, this is a sinful woman. But Jesus is like, no, that's not the end of her story. You know, there's so much more here. And so he shows her this kindness. And, and that's what we have to do as younger people and all people, right, is tell yeah. people who they're becoming. Know that, hey, God's still at work in these people's lives. We can't give up on them. We can't stamp them as sinner, you know. They're, they, they're going places. Like, God is not done with their story. Um, yeah, go ahead. Daniel Miller, it just reminds me of his writing when he talks about, you know, we need to be writing narratives uh, in which our children, grandchildren, you know, where they desire, where they get to be the hero of the story. Uh, mm. I think too often we're writing stories for people around us where they are the villain in the story. Uh, and I think that happens in our politics. It happens in our social justice processes. It happens. I mean, it, it and, and here's the thing, you know, we in the church, we can criticize how hateful the world has become, but we also participate in it. And, and, yeah. and my hope and prayer is that as we talk about these things, that we understand from the youngest person uh, in our congregation to the oldest person in our congregation, we have the power to allow the kingdom to exist, but we have to do these things. These are principles of the kingdom and looking at, a, at the potential of a person whose life is broken. And Jesus goes even further to say, hey, the fact that she was so broken results in her passionate love. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. whoever's been forgiven the most loves the most. And yeah. so some of us, some of us think God got a really good deal when he got us that, you know, we, we're, we've been pretty tidy our whole life, but there's <laughs> no passion in that. There's, there's mm -hmm. no extravagant love. There's, there's no, so, so Jesus is really getting in touch with this redemption issue is, Hey man, let's let's celebrate redemption because with redemption comes great discipleship and great passion, yeah. uh, great churchmanship, you know, great kingdom life that comes out of that reality. So, yeah, and Dave, let me just say one more thing on that. You know, for young people, my challenge would be don't don't stamp people as this. You know, tell them who they're becoming. Know that God's still working in the story, and that's what I tell the teens: is we can't give up on anybody. You know, that's yeah. Jesus. He doesn't give up on anybody. You don't know the end of the story. So show kindness to them, show grace to them, and you never know what's going to happen. You know? Yeah. If you knew everything there was to know about a person, you'd show them mercy. And I think that that's a principle that we ought to work on all the time. You know? so, all right. Last one. Uh, we are infinitely kind to champion the weak. Uh, mm -hmm. This story is a power story. 
It's a story about the reality of uh, someone who is in a seat of power. Simon is well-connected. Um, and Jesus is a popular rabbi. He has a certain level of celebrity to him. And then there is a woman who is completely disenfranchised. Uh, she could be, um, you know, ridiculed in this moment. She could be mocked in this moment. She has, she has stepped out and taken a giant risk. And this is not the only time we see this thing set up like this. The woman caught in adultery brought before the Sanhedrin. You have all these powerful people and you have this very weak person uh, who is clearly not doing things right. But somehow Jesus stands up for the weak anyway. He takes her side. In fact, he not only takes her side and stands up for her, but he, as he so often does, allows this weak, broken person to become the hero of the story. She ends up being the one who loves the most. She ends up being the one held out. In fact, in another account in the Gospels where the story is recorded, it says, from now on, everywhere that the story of the gospel is told, her story is going to get told. And here we are, you know, 2,000 years later, telling her story again. Well, and I think it's just testimony to the fact that you and I, uh, in all our generations, are supposed to stand up for the weak. And the question that I have for all of our generations is this, are we? Mm-hmm. Are we standing up for the weak? Do we stand in the gap where somebody might be ridiculing or making fun? And that's an issue of race. It's an issue of economics. It's an issue of, uh, of immigration policy and all those other things. Are we standing up for the weak? And, and I think for older folks... Um, man, it's a gut check. I, I don't have it all figured out. I am responsible. God has blessed me. And out of that rich blessing, I'm supposed to be standing up and advocating for people uh, who didn't have all the advantages that I had, who may not have you know, the, the, the power that I enjoy at this stage of my life. Um, so I think, I think older people do have power, whether it's economic power or security or whatever it is. And I'm not sure. I think sometimes we prefer our power to really advocating for those that are in trouble. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would push young people to, to not see kindness as weakness, you know, no matter how much the culture screams kindness is weakness, right? Look on social media. (laughs) There's not a lot of kindness going on. Sure. Um, but kindness is not weakness. It's actually strength. And Jesus shows us that, right. And that's so much of the kingdom is this, reversal it's this upside down kingdom it's the weaker made strong the 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 first made last and the last made first and that's my challenge for young people is to be kind to be gentle all those fruits of the spirit because yeah. it's the great reversal and that's what jesus calls us to right and so many times it's so counter cultural um but we have to be a part of it yeah well and I, and i do think you know i think there's a reality in all of it where like for older people it's getting out of our comfort zone. You know, mm. we don't want to associate. We've, we've sort of circled the wagons around our little, you know, social life. I think for younger people, there's a, there's a kind of peer pressure. If I befriend that person, if I reach out to that person, you know, what are people going to say about me? How are they going to look at me? You know, am I going to get cast into a, a category that's not likable or not acceptable? And I do think, you know, somehow we got to overcome all of that. Our, our lethargy, uh, our tendency to just stick with the same people that we, you know, associate with. How do we really have eyes for the weak and then, and then believe it's our job. It's our job to express infinite kindness to those people in need. 
So, well, I, I want to say a prayer and, and obviously we're going to talk about attributes of the kingdom for the next, uh, you know, five weeks. And, and, and I just want to keep emphasizing this underlying everything in the biblical story is the kingdom presence and we're not helpless. Um, we are in fact responsible to, to plead, beg, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth. It's not a thing that's going to happen out there somewhere. It is a thing as Jesus described that is in you. It is already around you. Go ahead and live it, live into it. Let's make that be a reality and let's start in our homes and our families and certainly here in our community of faith. Let's say a prayer together. God, thank you that you brought us together uh, so that we can talk about the really practical piece of what it means for us to be kingdom people. I pray that across the generations of this congregation in which the kingdom of God is represented, we believe our children are a part of the kingdom of God today, not someday, but right now. And our junior high kids and our high school kids and our young adults and our X's and Y's and all of the generation, our millennials, all the way through our boomers, uh, we are inviting and asking you to challenge our hearts across the generations and that you would teach and allow and convict us of what it would mean for us to begin to practice an ultimate kind of kindness in our own homes, in our own families, but also in the community in which we live and in this church body so that we might anticipate living into the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that it would be so. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.